Welcome everybody to Dead Talk Live and tonight we have a special treat from Fear Street 1994 and 1666. Jeremy Ford is joining us. Jeremy, how you doing buddy? Good man, so good. Thank you for, for having me and I feel like I feel like we're kind of talking at the, the right time. I mean, the third one came out, and it, it's it's fresh right now. It is. It is absolutely fresh. Peter and Caleb, 1994, you were Peter. Not the most likable dude, all right? In fact, I'm going to call, uh, you know, I'm going to call him a prick. <laughs> no, he's a real scumbag. Yeah, yeah. And then we go to 1666, where you played Caleb. Now, before we dive into Fear Street, i love to hear all my guests' journey into whether it's directing, writing, or acting in your case. When did you know you want to become an actor, and how did it all play out for you? Sure, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I uh, So many people that I spend time with, you know, actors and directors and stuff like that, so many of them, they knew it from the time that they could talk that they wanted to be a performer or a storyteller. I was, like, very much the opposite, you know? Like, I was a stupid, shy kid. Um, like, just... Like I didn't want any sort of attention. I didn't want anyone to look at me. Didn't want anyone to talk to me. So acting was like not on my radar. You know, I didn't grow up doing community theater or anything like that. I was very much just like a sort of average shy wallflower kind of kid. Um, got terrible grades in high school, so I knew I wasn't going to college. <laughs> but I kind of graduated high school, and you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, and I, I knew I had big aspirations somewhere in me, but I, I guess I just didn't know what they were. But uh. You know, I just I was working at the mall when I was like 18 and I knew someone that was sort of working nearby at the mall and she did like background acting and she's like, oh, you should you should watch uh, Pretty Little Liars tonight. I'm, I'm going to be on it. You know, I, I grew up, you know, kind of an hour outside of L.A., but it's a completely different world out there. I, I didn't know anyone that had ever been on TV. I was like, what are you talking about? That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. And she's like, oh, background acting like it, you should do that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, dude, that's like way better than working at the sunglass hut. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a background actor, you know? So I signed up to be a background actor with Central Casting in Burbank, and I was just commuting back and forth from Riverside, where I grew up, to do background acting jobs, and I fell in love with just being on set. I mean, the very first project I worked on was, like, one of those, you know, procedural shows like NCIS or, or CSI or something like that. And it was on a soundstage in L.A., and as soon as you walk on, man, it's like, it's electric and everyone is like hustling and every, everything is like buzzing. And I loved it. Like I loved being on a set and I kind of like, I, I kind of hated background acting cause you're kind of like treated like crap, kind of like bottom of the barrel. But I really love being on set. I'm like, you know, I'm, I don't want to do this background acting thing, but I think I'm going to be an actor. And at this point I'm like 19 years old and I had never acted a day in my life, but I sort of like put my stake in that then and there, like I'm going to be an actor. And there's no looking back like that, that. That was it. And sure enough, you know, here I am kind of like a decade later and it's kind of random looking back on it. But yeah, that's kind of how I decided I wanted to act. That's awesome. And it really is sort of not the norm uh, that we hear from stories. I love your story. So when you put that stake, uh, did you take any workshops or anything like that? Or did you just dive into start auditioning? Yeah, you know, immediately my mom sort of told me about like a local acting class down sort of in like Temecula, which is like kind of South Riverside County. And it was a real sort of like beginner acting class, but I'm like, oh, you know, if I'm going to be an actor, like I supposedly want to be, I guess I should probably learn how to act, you know? And I was like a really like confident kid. You know, I think I was like sort of overly confident, like a lot of 19 year olds are. And I'm like, yeah, this, this cocky, beginner yeah, acting. a little cocky. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, for sure. And I showed up to this acting class first night and, you know, because I was new, it was like, they put me up on stage and it's like, okay, cool. Time to let her rip, you know, do a monologue, do a cold read of a monologue. And it was like just sheer cold sweats, panic immediately. I'm like, what am I doing up here? Like, this is so out of the norm for me, but it was great, you know, because you quickly learn how hard acting is and how much of a challenge it's going to be to get half decent. But I liked the challenge and I, I liked sort of like not being good at something because it gave me a goal. Like it really gave me something concrete to pursue, you know, and I did that acting class for a few months and uh, it was great because I got to like cut my teeth and just get up on stage every night and just work things and get comfortable. And then I feel like I kind of quickly outgrew that class. I met some really great friends in there and we sort of like all buddied up and we're like, you know what, let's just, let's learn on the job. Let's, let's write short films, let's write movies, let's make them ourselves. Yeah. So just yeah, we just hit the ground running, like making our own stuff on no budget. Now I've heard a lot of actors say they have to get used to the camera. I mean, when you're taking a workshop and you're in front of a, a live audience, even if they're class members, classmates of yours, how different is it to get used to performing in front of a camera? It's way different, and like. I, maybe other people like latch on that concept a little quicker than I did, but it took me like years to really understand like what it meant to like act for the camera. Yeah. Cause you get a lot, of bad, you get a lot of bad advice early on early on, early on. People are like, dude, just pretend like the camera's not there. That's the worst thing you could do if you want to be a film actor, you know? So early on it was just kind of like, Oh, here's the camera. I'm just going to like act. I'm, all my energy was going away from the camera and it shows, you know, like when you watch the, the movie or whatever it is, Nothing is translating, and it took me a lot of years to learn how to like project all of your energy and emotion like to the lens. It, it, there's a bit of a learning curve for that, but it's totally different than just an acting class where oh, you're yeah. getting up on front of your peers, you know. All right, so now let's get into Fear Street. How did the process of auditioning come to you? Did your agent come to you and say, "Hey, there's this cool new Netflix thing coming together"? Did you know what you were auditioning for? What role you were auditioning for? How did the whole audition process for Fear Street happen? Yeah, it was it was brutal. And, you know, because I was like 19 when I decided I want to be an actor. And very quickly, I sort of like got in touch with this talent manager who took me under her wing. And she started sending me out on auditions like kind of immediately. So in hindsight, I know how lucky I was to start auditioning almost like months after I decided I wanted to be an actor. And so fast forward from there, it was probably like eight or nine years of auditioning and doing all kinds of, you know, just low budget, like very low paying stuff, non-paying stuff. It was, you know, eight years of, yeah. I guess, you know, paying your dues. Paying your dues. Yeah. And then I, I, I found my way to this fantastic agent who I'm still with now. Her name's Brittany Stone and she's the greatest. Shout out to Brittany if she's listening. Um, and you know, I was, you know, bartending because that's what you do when you're in your 20s and you're trying to make it as an actor. And uh, the Fear Street audition came my way and you very quickly just learn like not to get your hopes up, especially about the big ones, you yeah. know? Like I've had a lot of like close close brushes with like the, the, the quote unquote big break. Like I was up to be Han Solo. I was up for The Revenant. I was up for what, you know, I was up for tons of big projects, but you just learn like odds are not going to happen. So when Fear Street came my way, it was you know, untitled at the time, 20th Century Fox horror trilogy. And of course I knew 20th Century Fox, major studio mm -hmm. out of the gate. Cool, probably not gonna get this, but uh, I'm gonna try my best. 
And I did the first audition, which was a self-tape audition, and actually first audition for the role of Simon, who is now played by Fred Heckinger, mm -hmm. so wonderfully. And Carmen Cuba, the casting director, she's like, okay, I don't think you're right for Simon, but I think you'd be better to play this character named Peter, who is also Caleb. Mm -hmm. At the time, you know, I, I didn't know anything about, about the project, so I'm like, cool, whatever, sounds great. Yeah, you know, I'm happy to have the second chance. So I started all my callbacks were for the Peter Caleb characters, and it was about six weeks of just inching forward in the process and my agent calling me saying like, okay, you know, like Lee, the director, she likes you. She's going to go to bat for you. She's going to like talk to the studio execs and try to try to you know fight for you. And I'm like, dude, these studio execs, they're not going to like me. I'm a, I'm a nobody. I've got no like decent credits, you know, but huge credit to Lee and the studio execs, you know, after like a brutal six week process, I, I finally got the call that I got it. And that was a wild day. I'll never forget that moment, actually. How did you feel? I mean, how did you feel when you got the call that you got the part on Fear Street, on the trilogy? It's interesting because in those six weeks, I was experiencing, like, tons of, like, really elated excitement. And then the thought that it probably wasn't going to work out was, like, devastating. So I had this, like, roller coaster, like, multiple times a day of being so stoked and then so bummed. So by the time I actually got it, it was more like... Like I had exhausted all my excitement. It was more like, oh, like, thank God. Like I could stop checking my email every 20 seconds, you know? It was more it was more like a relief, like cool. Like this six weeks of stress and anxiety paid off. It's over. Now, credit to the studio, uh, Fear Street, the entire uh, uh, trilogy, with the exception of Ashley Zuckerman, who is a, a name, they brought us uh, some real amazing fresh faces including yourself onto this trilogy uh i think that's a, a part of its success they didn't go out and say oh we have to get this big name to make this work they had faith in the story okay they knew they had a good screenplay a script they had the right people with lee directing it and they brought this they brought us this fresh talent and it's you guys that uh are the big factor on what made it so good. Now, with that being said, uh, all three movies, it is a trilogy. I assume they were all shot uh, one right after the other. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, we shot them in 2019. So it was all pre-pandemic, which was obviously, in hindsight, a huge blessing. But yeah, we shot them all back to back to back. We shot 1994 and then we went straight to 1666, the third one. And then they went back and did 1978 last. So there was no COVID disruptions? You guys were all done with all three movies before the onset of COVID? Yeah. Yeah, I think they officially wrapped 1978 in like the beginning of September. Maybe it was the end of August, but 2019. All right. So you were in 94 and you were in 1666. You said those two were done first. How much time did you spend on the set doing all your scenes and waiting around? How much time did you spend on the set? I think for 1994, because I'm sort of like, I'm sort of scattered in the first half. Mm -hmm. They were flying me back and forth because I had a lot of days off in between and they just thought it was more efficient to just fly me back and forth. But 1994 is probably like a collective, like two weeks of filming. Um, and then 1666, because it's such a contained film, it's all like in that village and every character is there in the background in every frame. Mm -hmm. That was about four weeks straight of shooting in that village in the woods in Atlanta. Where was the, the location, if you're able to share? Where was this thing filmed? 
Yeah, uh, 1994 was filmed kind of all over Atlanta, like different cities, like McDonough, like Peachtree Circle in Atlanta proper. And then uh, 1666 was largely shot in Hampton, Georgia, which is, I don't know, probably 45 minutes outside of Atlanta. But Which is I mean, a huge that, filming location now, Georgia. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, going to and from location every day, you're, you're passing by like major sound stages. Like, oh, that's the Marvel sound stage. Or, oh, that's the... the Disney soundstage. It's, it's wild. It is. It is. And it's amazing for me. Uh, you know, I grew up in New York and New York and LA back in the day, those, those were it. That's where you saw, I passed, walked through many, many sets in New York city. Same for LA. You grew up in the LA area. I'm sure you passed through dozens of sets growing up. Now I got to say, uh, fear street has some of the freaking best has the, one of the best soundtracks that, I have heard in a long time. Now, uh, I, I was a teenager in the 90s. So, especially 94, the music that they played. Now, you're, you know, you're a lot younger than I am. Is this, when you heard the music, when you watched the final product on Netflix and you heard all this great, great songs, uh, being a kid that was born in the 90s, how did that, you know, what'd you think of that music and going back into the 90s? Yeah, the the music for the 90s, 1994, the, the soundtrack is impeccable. It's like the most 90s soundtrack one could fathom, you know? And I think Lee, our director, I think music was obviously such a big component for her, but I mean, her whole goal in 1994 was like to make the movie she wanted to make mm -hmm. or make the movie she would want to see when she was in high school in the 90s. Yeah. You know, that was her whole. So she used all of her favorite music, the, the, the costume, the set deck, even like the stores in the mall at the beginning of 1994. The Orange Julius and the B. Dalton's like they were so much like an homage to her childhood. So the music is just phenomenal. And same thing with 1978 being like on this side of it where, you know, I, I, I try to, you know, where I'm producing my own movie right now and knowing how expensive music is for movies. I'm watching these movies. All I can think of is like, oh my God, these songs are so expensive. It's incredible that they're using so many. It is. It is. I, I mean, I remember watching 94 and I was, we were texting with my team. I'm like, oh my God, look at the, this song. I mean, it brought back so many memories. So, um, you know, me and Lee haven't met her yet, but uh, we have the same taste in music. I'll tell you that much. Now, uh, between 94 and 1666, uh, obviously two different locations, two different sets. Which one did you have the most fun shooting? It's not, you know, which one did you just have a little bit more fun with? Yeah, definitely 1666. And that's largely because as an actor, it's kind of a cheat code because they built that like 17th century village out in the middle of the woods in Hampton. And that's where we were filming every single day. And the, the costume was so period appropriate and it was so hot. It was summertime in Atlanta. It was humid, bugs everywhere. As an actor, I'm like, this is a cheat code. Like it's not even like you don't have to use your imagination yeah. at all. And there were moments where we have like really long days and I, I, it sounds hippy dippy, but there'd be moments where I'm like, oh, wow. I feel like for a moment, I actually believed I lived in the 17th century. You, you start to lose your mind a little bit, but I kind of dug it. No, that's great. It gets it gets you definitely into character. Now, a little bit more on Lee, Lee Janiak. She was the director. She's the one that really brought this to life. What was your experience uh, working with Lee? How was she behind the camera and directing the actors? 
Was she really hands-on? Did she get out of your guys' way and just let you do what you guys do? How was that? Yeah, you know, she was, like you said, she's, like, responsible for the Fear Street trilogy. I mean, the studio took a huge swing because she was kind of a, a largely unknown filmmaker. But I think the studio saw something in her that we all see now, now that the movies are out. But, I mean, these are her baby, these movies. Like, every every shred of authenticity and self-awareness and excitement and fun came out of her brain, you know? And ever since she like fought for me in the casting process and I'm a nobody, like I owe her like so much, you know, like my heart really like belongs to her right now. Um, But as a director, this is a major studio trilogy, you know, and I showed up on set and again, I showed up really confident because I, you know, I'm a pretty confident guy and, just the, the size of the machine. It's there's 200 people every day. I was just immediately like, holy shit. I was like so overwhelmed. And like day one, I sort of like lost my cool and I, I got so nervous, but Lee was like so calm and cool and level headed. And she kind of like walked around with like a sucker in her mouth every day. <laughs> and she, she's the type of director who, if she doesn't like what you're doing, she'll say it. She's like, Hey, well, wh- why are you doing that? No, don't do that. Just, just try something else. And then if she likes what you're doing, she'll go, yeah, yeah, yeah. More more, do more of that. So she really lets you explore and she'll kind of just guide you with like yeses and nos. And as an actor, it's kind of cool because I could just do my thing and let it rip and she'll say yay or nay. Now, uh, would you classify yourself even before Fear Street as, uh, did you enjoy horror movies? I, I, in the last five years with the emergence of movies like uh, like Get Out and Midsummer and Hereditary, I really, I, I've grown to really like horror movies growing up. I didn't really like them. I was like a, a really easily scared child. Um, but now, nowadays, like I, I do watch them with like reverence. And I, I think some of them are so well-made and there's a lot of heart, whether they're like campy and self-aware or whether they're like midsummer, like midsummer is like a work of art in my opinion. It's an artsy film. No doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So in the last like five or six years, I've really grown to enjoy horror films, even ones that are like older, like, like signs or uh, the strangers yeah. or, of course, you know, Scream is obviously like a huge reference for Fear Street 1994. I love those movies. Yeah. Now, Lee took uh, some of the old school horror, the stuff like you said that probably scared you. She brought in elements of the paranormal, slasher flicks, a real throwback for lifelong horror fans like myself. Um, what do you think separates Fear Street from other modern day horror movies? Uh that makes it so damn good, so interesting to watch, and you're just glued to the television, and you want to see what happens next, and you can binge watch all three movies now, back to back to back. What do you think separates Fear Street from other modern-day horror movies? Yeah, you know, I feel like it's a couple things, and the one thing I keep touching on is, like, these three movies, all three of them, especially 1994 1978, they're very self-aware. Like Lee knew exactly what kind of movie she was making. She really struck a nice balance of like good heartfelt drama and like in love, but as well as like, she wasn't afraid to like have fun and like be poppy and be colorful. Like she knew what she was making, you know, like I feel like some people don't understand self-aware movies. Like I think scream is very self-aware. Like John wick is sort of like the, the, the token self-aware movie everyone talks about, which is why people love it. Like, Fear Street, you sit and it's Lee wasn't afraid to have a good time, you know, and she didn't take herself too seriously. And I think that translates in the movies like 
they're very they're they're fun and you know 1994 is shot and it's made just like uh like like scream or yeah. i know what you did yeah. last summer it's really elevated teen slasher horror and 1978 pays huge homage to you know uh, the friday the 13th yeah sleepaway camp and stuff like that like she knew what she was doing and all the while she was having a good time so and i think that translates it does you know it does now your castmates like kiana benjamin and of course sadie who is part of the stranger things universe how did you guys all coalesce did you guys all get along right away was there a moment a period of time of you guys getting to know each other when you guys first met up on the set was this an immediate you know friendship form describe that yeah so i came on to 1994 a couple weeks after they started shooting and at that point all the 1994 cast, like Kiana, uh, Julia, Olivia, Fred, Benji, they were all really close and really tight knit. So I showed up like, oh man, I'm gonna be like the odd man out. Like I feel like the the click had already formed. But immediately, like my day one on set, Fred came up to me and he's like, he's like, oh, he's like, you're Peter. And he's like, oh, it's so nice to meet you. And there wasn't like a shred of ego, you know, like they were so quick to sort of uh, adopt me into the inner circle. And everyone on this film, like from like Lee, like, you know, the producers, all the cast, everyone was like so cool and welcoming. And it's a, it was, they're wonderful memories. And I'm, I'm going to look back on them fondly, I think for a long time, but it was cool. And we're, we were in Atlanta and none of us like grew up there. Like we were all from New York, LA, Vancouver. Yeah. They like, I, I keep to myself a lot, but they were so cool to invite me and we would pal around to like the movies or we would go to the mall or we would go to dinner. It was cool. Like. I, I felt very comfortable and at home with them. And a, a lot of people aren't like that. You know, a lot of people are either really clicky or they have uh, some version of a chip on their shoulder, yeah. but that, that didn't exist on this set. Or if it did, they did a damn good job at hiding it. <laughs> That's great to hear. Now your character in 1994, Peter, like you said, he was a scumbag, but it was, it paid tribute to the eighties and nineties movies, the stereotypical school jock, of course, we had to pick and make fun of the nerdy kids, for lack of a better term. Uh, how did you get into the mindset of playing Peter in 1994? Yeah, you know, I, I try to be as serious as possible when it comes to like acting and my characters. And I, I knew, you could just tell from reading the script, like I knew who Peter was and I, I knew what purpose he served in the story i mean it's a really important purpose too i think peter sort of like reflects like how society was in 1994 yeah. trust Towards me like, I, I was peter's age in 94 so i could totally relate yeah 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 especially like the attitude towards like uh like like a, a, a queer relationship you know and that's the heart of the whole trilogy it, it's you know a queer it's a queer love story mm -hmm. that happens to take place in this cursed town in ohio and you know like Back in 94, like, the, the pretty cheerleader should have been with the asshole quarterback, mm -hmm. you know? So that was the point Peter played. And, you know, being being gay isn't new, you know? Like, people have been gay since time began, which is why in the 1600s, like, the uh, the Sarah Fear, Hannah Miller storyline, people were, people were gay back then. And they were, like, completely, like, sidelined by society. And that's the point of, like, Caleb and Peter. So playing guys like that, I, I always want to play them – truthfully and honestly and you know people are always scumbags for a reason you know and even though it's not said in the movies for peter it's like the backstory i came up with him is like you know he had like a really aggressive dad that was like really hard on him and his parents marriage was 
probably in shambles, but like they stayed together because it was all about like keeping up with the with the Joneses and like Peter's family like needed to be like the best family on the block, and they they didn't want anyone to know that their family was falling apart. But their home life sucked, and I feel like Peter's dad was like really hard on him. So Peter had no control at home. So for me, the key to Peter was like. Peter seeks control like in his like personal life and his in his social circles. And for him, control is like putting people down and being an asshole. Like that's what made him feel yeah. like handle in his own life, you know? And that's usually the case with people that are sort of bullies, you know, yeah. it always stems from And you're right. Peter is a very important character because the events of you following that school bus, uh is sort of what starts to bring everything to the surface with the whole Sour Fear story. Now, going to 1666, Caleb, a character very similar to Peter, 300 years in the past, a troublemaker. Again, you start the witch hunt in a way, uh, you know, by spreading the word and so on. What was it like uh, to get into that mindset in the 17th century of what ultimately your actions lead to the hanging of Sarah Fee. I'm not saying that Caleb was solely responsible. He wasn't, but he was one of the characters that got the ball rolling on that. Yeah, yeah. I, I really treated them like two different characters. It, it might not, they might look very similar on screen, but, you know, I guess the most helpful thing for me as an actor was like, okay, I was really overwhelmed at first, like taking on Peter and Caleb and the, the thing that made me feel better was like, I got to, I got to treat them as two different people. Like I had to come up with like Peter's backstory and like figure out like why he is the way he is. And then separate from that, I had Caleb and I mean, they're, they grew up in completely different societies because they're 300 years apart. Mm -hmm. And for me, the key to Caleb, like the key to Peter was like his abusive household. The key for Caleb was like, you know, early puritanical America like that, like those early settlements, they were so driven by like religion, you know, and to me, like, there's nothing scarier than someone who uses religion in the wrong way yeah. or who uses yeah. religion to their advantage. And to me, that was Peter – or uh, sorry, Caleb. Like, you know, he gets embarrassed, obviously, around the fire. He, he has – The you know, boner. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he gets laughed at and sort of, like, bullied. And as soon as he has a moment to get back at, you know, Seraphir and Hannah, he, he takes advantage of it and he basically – is the reason that Seraphir is known as like the witch to haunt Shady Side. Like the moment he he can use religion in his favor and pitch Seraphir like under the wagon as a witch, he does it. And he is sort of like that linchpin where you've seen the movie, so you get it. Like Solomon Good is like, oh, I'm gonna use this opportunity to my advantage and like I'm gonna help Caleb pin this whole curse on Seraphir. Yeah, yeah. And there's a really important undertone in all three movies that no matter what the year, like you said, there have been gay people for as long as human beings have been walking the earth. Uh, but people are the same deep down inside. Caleb from 1666 used the methods and means that he had back then, as Peter did in 1994. Uh, humanity, uh, yeah, our mindset has changed. Science has changed it on how we see things. Now, when it came to 1666... Did you do any kind of research, like, for instance, did you uh, read more into the Salem witch trials to try to get some more background information of what it was like living in Puritan America back then? I did, because 
st- like studying to play Peter in 1994, it was so much easier because it wasn't that long ago, mm-hmm. and there's so much at your disposal from that time period. The 1600s, I, I was a terrible student, as I already told you, and I was terrible in history. So I knew nothing about that time period in America. So I, luckily, there's all kinds of like great documentaries on like the witch craze of like you know like the 1600s and stuff like that. So I just watch all kinds of documentaries. Like I read the play, The Crucible. I watched the movie, mm-hmm. The Crucible, which I, I don't know how authentic that was, but it at least kind of helped paint the picture of like what it looked like back then. Um, so yeah, I learned as much as I could about like the witch trial craze, and I mean it's wild. It, what you see in 1666 isn't a far cry from how it was like no if anyone especially like a woman was like misbehaving or or doing something that wasn't like kosher according to society they were plagued as witches and they were either like stoned or burned alive or hung or thrown into a river you know it's scary because that that is not something that's made up for the movie. That shit actually really did happen, and it's just it's terrifying to think about. Now, when it comes to the Fear Street movies, now for me, gore, like somebody getting their head chopped off or their head being put through a meat grinder, is fun to it's fun to watch. It doesn't scare me. For me, the scary part, the thriller part of it, was the uh, psychological parts of Fear Street. Do you agree, uh, as a you know so-so horror fan, when you were watching the final product, uh, what got you the most? Was it like the blood, the amount of gore, or was it the psychological elements of the movies that got you? You know, I mean, it might be different because you were there, you were filming it, but if you could remove yourself for a minute and just view it as a fan, what do you think is more scary, the psychological elements or the gore elements of the film? I think I have a a twofold answer. Um, there's, there's three moments in the trilogy. Each movie has one moment that gore wise is really next level. Like you said, like Kate going through the bread slicer is like, it's brutal. And one of the beautiful things about these movies is like, they relied so heavily on like practical effects. Like they, they try to use as little CGI as possible. And as a movie lover, I, I'm all about that. And I think it's a lot, you get a lot more of a visceral reaction out of practical effects. And they actually, yeah, dude, they actually pushed like a dummy through the bread slicer and it really created a mess. So that moment, and then in 1978 at the end when, uh, also this is a spoiler alert, when uh, Cindy and Ziggy are getting like basically axed side by side on the ground, it's so visceral. You can like, you can almost feel it in your own chest cavity. And then in 1666 when Seraphira loses her hand, all three of those moments were so hard to watch for me. And they're burned into my mind forever. And I, I was involved with these movies, but it still was like that impactful for me. Um, but second to that, I think what scares me most is like the sort of like B through line in these movies is uh, sort of like the 400 year rule of like straight white men and like the, the sort of like how they kind of get away with everything. I'm yeah. like, Oh wow. That's, that's actually how society has functioned for the last three or 400 years. And it's very sad. It is. You know? So psychologically, that sucks. It does. It does. Now, uh, did you get the entire script when you got, you know, when you came on set or beforehand? Did you know how this whole trilogy was going to end? If not, when did you find out? The, including uh, all the plot twists and, you know, that amazing plot twist in the end of the trilogy. Yeah, I had the like 
the the fortune of in that six weeks when I was like auditioning and like waiting to hear back the night before they made an offer, they sent my agent the scripts and they're like, okay, we want Jeremy to read them all tonight and tomorrow. Let us know if he's interested. Jeez, and I'm like, that's not a lot of pressure reading three scripts in one night. Yeah. yeah. But also I'm like, that's so funny that they think I wouldn't be interested, but like, sure. I'll, I'll play your cute little game. 20th century Fox. Yeah. So it was like a Tuesday night at like 7 p.m. when I got the scripts and I locked myself in the bedroom and I read all of them like just back to back to back. And I, I got the full swing in like one fell swoop, which was actually like really special because I sort of I took the ride in one night. And some people might be watching the movies just like that, which is the coolest part about them being on Netflix. Um, so I, I read them all back to back to back and I got to go through the full roller coaster of, OK, you know, they want me to play Peter. OK, I'm reading the first one. Oh page 40 peter dies i'm like okay obviously peter's gonna come back right and uh, i get to the end i'm like oh peter's dead <laughs> so i had the full roller coaster of like learning when peter died and caleb comes back luckily caleb makes it through the whole thing but yeah it was really cool reading the scripts like that so what did you think of uh, of the plot twist on on how they did it with the movies did you uh when you read the script you're like damn this is some good shit right here i mean what were your thoughts when you read the that whole all three scripts in one night I mean, I didn't see it coming. So like, I didn't see it coming, but then you go back and like, I think I went back and I flipped to some like critical, like Nick good moments. And I'm like, oh, it is peppered all through the three movies, but I didn't catch it. And I think of myself as something of like a, a smart movie watcher, but I was like, wow, they really did a good job putting the twist there. But like they buried it in such a way where I didn't see it coming. Yeah. So I thought that was such a, a well done twist. You know, one of the great twists that I liked in the trilogy was in 1978, when they meet up with the adult Ziggy, we, throughout the whole movie, think it's her sister, and Ziggy died, and that twist in the end, like, oh no, you're Ziggy, uh, I think that's one of the greatest twists. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, you know what? Reading it, I think somehow going into it, I already knew that somehow. I think because at, at the first page of each script, it says like in 1978 who the characters are from 1994 and who they're going to be in 1666. So they, they kind of spoiled it in that way in the script. But watching it, because in the last three weeks with all the premieres, I watched them all like one week apart like everybody has. And I, I with the audience, because Netflix held these like really wonderful premieres for us, and watching it with an audience – you can feel every scare. You can feel every comedic beat. You can feel every twist. And feeling everyone go, oh, I was like, oh, shit. That's right. Like, I forgot that was a twist. But the whole sea of people behind me reacting, I was like, oh, cool. Like, I, I dug that. I've heard that so many times that uh, actors, they, they would prefer to see the final product, not alone, but in a theater, just to uh, engage what the audience around them is feeling uh so obviously it was the same way for you too right yeah i mean i as an actor like i struggle to watch my stuff because i'm so hypercritical so if i have the opportunity i always same like here too. Watch. yeah right like i will never I, I was, watch this episode again <laughs> yeah you know i mean you're doing a great job so there's no need to <laughs> FYI. But, um i if i have an opportunity to watch it alone ahead of time i'll i'll take it because I just need to know what I'm getting myself into, you know, like sometimes like in, in projects, like you get cut out and if you're watching it for the first time with an audience and you're experiencing with an audience that like, Oh, you're not in it as much as you thought. Mm -hmm. 
that's brutal. And that's happened to me before with a couple things like where I've been cut out. I'm like, oh, wait, I was supposed to be there a couple seconds ago. Now we're already moving forward in the plot. Like what happened? That's devastating. So I try to watch it alone ahead of time just to know what I'm getting myself into. But when it comes time to watch it with an audience, it is great to experience every like sort of like laugh and every thrill with like a, a mob of people. Yes. Yes. I can imagine that. Now, what do you think about this format? I don't think it's ever been done before where a trilogy of three separate movies are released a week apart on a streaming service, the biggest streaming service, Netflix. Do you like that format? I think it's ingenious. Uh, do you like how they did that? The release dates one week apart. I think it was the smartest thing they could have done. I mean, when I first signed on to these projects, like you know, the, it was 20th century and this is 2019 free pandemic theaters were still like hustling and bustling. And the original plan that 20th century came up with was we're going to release them all in theaters one month apart. So it was kind of a, a little bit different than how Netflix did it, but it was still like, they were still trying to be innovative, like from the start. And I thought that was really cool. You know, I'm like, Oh, these movies are gonna be in theaters. That's exciting. All one month apart. Well, that's pretty edgy. And then the pandemic hit and Netflix showed like huge interest in the fear street movies. And when Netflix acquired them, I was like, Oh wow. Like, because Fear Street bears such a strong resemblance to Stranger Things, I'm like, Netflix is like the perfect home for Fear Street. And then they announced that they're going to do it one week apart. And it was kind of like, I think we all felt like it was the sort of dream scenario coming true. And now that we're, you know, out of the woods and all three of them are out now. And so far, they've all been like very well received. It's like, yeah, it's been the best case scenario. I think it was, it was ingenious. Uh, Netflix, you could say, might you could might argue that they took a risk. I think it's a risk that definitely paid off. Now, the people who were not watching it as it, as they were released and are watching it now can literally sit and binge watch uh, like seven hours worth of a movie back to back to back and just have a thoroughly enjoyable uh, experience. Were there any scenes that, you know, you were on set for that you filmed, like your death scene in 94 in the hospital that you know, when you saw the final product kind of grossed you out a bit? Uh, the death scene was actually the, like, that was day one for me was my death scene. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I had like no time to really like wrap my head around, like I show up and it's like a huge thing. And it's like my, my first studio trilogy and I'm so excited. And literally immediately I just get stabbed in the chest. Um, but that, that was, that was cool. And the only thing I watch and sort of like shudder at is like I, just the taste of the corn syrup in my mouth because Peter spits blood mm -hmm. after he gets stabbed. Uh, I, I had a styrofoam cup full of blood that I kept ha having to like sip on all day long in order to spit out. And every time I watch myself get stabbed, my mouth starts to water in a bad way, remembering the way that corn syrup tastes. But definitely uh, I wasn't there for, you know, Julia, Julia's character, Kate going to the bread slicer, but watching that one, I'm like, yeah. Oh, yikes. Like what, sick freak came up with this exactly now out of all of the nick goods and the good family killers that they put their names on the stone throughout the years which one did you uh as a fan watching the final product did you enjoy the most i'll tell you mine i liked ruby yeah yeah, Ruby was fun, especially all of her interactions with the interactions with the Simon character. Yeah, Ruby uh, was creepy. Yeah, I will say uh, I might be biased because uh, I like McCabe Sly so much, the actor. But I think uh, Tommy Slater is my favorite. Oh, from just 70. because he is from '78. Yeah. He was just a a 
ruthless axe murderer who was just dead in the eyes and he literally killed children and it's like it's the gnarliest thing i've seen yeah and he would run and you know with the axe and watching 78 because we saw him in 94 as the killer then we got his story in 78 and it wasn't until the very end that he got that burlap sack put over his head so I'm watching yeah. 78, and I'm like, when does the sack come into play? And then we see that it, it comes into play um, right at the very end. Now, uh, you know, these these movies are based on R.L. Stein's books. Did you refer to the books? Did you read any of the books uh, when you got the part, before your edition? Now, after the movies are out, have you read the source material at all? As soon as I came on to the projects, I was like, oh, these Fear Street books, I, I got to I gotta get in the know because talking to like a lot of my friends that are like of my generation, so many people I know like read the Fear Street books and they grew up on R.L. Stein. And again, I was a total uh, chicken when I was a kid, so I didn't read them. I'm like, I got to hop on this train. You know, a lot of people really like these things. And I bought a couple of Fear Street books on Amazon immediately. And the cover art is so cool and so timeless. I'm like, I, I got to read them. And I got them in the mail. I'm like, I'm like, oh, you know what? I feel like as an actor, anything to inform my performance that's important, I think it's either going to come from the script or it's going to come from Lee Janiak. Yeah. And I definitely didn't want to be the guy on set. Like, um, actually, in the book, it's done this way because nobody, nobody likes that guy. Um, and I'm embarrassed to say it, they're sitting on my shelf over there, and I haven't read them yet. That's all right. But I... That's all right. That's all right. Now, uh... Throughout this whole project, what would you say was the most challenging thing for you to do as an actor? That's a good question. I I feel like because the movies are so they're so fast paced and they're they're so technical and like I said, a lot of the the, the stunts and the deaths are done practically. And I've done so many like really just like fantastic, but like low budget projects that I'm super proud of. But a lot of the low budget indies, it's sort of like they light it and they set the camera up and they're just like, okay, cool. Like just be your character, just do the lines, just live, just be honest. And that's a lot easier as an actor. Just, oh, you can kind of just let it fly and the camera will follow you. But with the Fear Street trilogy, everything was like so laid out to a T. It was like, you have to be memorized, you have to be honest, you have to show up and give a good performance. But on top of that, it's like you have so many technical beats and technical notes you're given. It's like you have to say it at this pace and at this time, watch out for the camera because the camera's going to come behind you. And then the curtain's going to drop, then you're going to get stabbed, then you have to fall to the floor. And then oh, be sure you don't do any of that too fast, but don't be too slow. It's like such a technical beast. It was really hard, like especially like the first week, I really struggled with like all these technical notes and I would lay in bed at night like, oh, my God, like I feel like I'm making an ass out of myself because I feel like I, I was like catching up with like the, the jargon and the speed at which we moved. But, you know, after the first week, I feel like I sort of got the hang of it. And, you know, in those six or seven weeks, it took me to make, you know, 94 and 66. I feel like I learned and I, I grew so much as an actor. I feel like yeah. I learned more than in the last decade, to be honest. If we fast forward five, 10 years from now, do you have any doubt in your mind that you're going to look back and say that the Fear Street trilogy was your biggest break? Oh, no doubt. Like, absolutely. It felt like I went from like the bottom rung of the ladder, it feels to like the middle. And even like my agent and my manager, when I booked it, they were like, yeah, just so you know, like this day and age, 
studios don't take swings on like up and coming talent. Like this is very special. And I, so out of the gate, I sort of had an awareness like, okay, this is, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And even still two years later, I, I know that to be true. Now that the movies are out and like you said, critically acclaimed, everyone loves them. The critics love them. The viewers love them. Uh, have you been offered or you're auditioning for, has it given you the confidence to go for roles that you before would not normally go for? Yeah, I think it's done a lot for my confidence, but even before Fear Street came out, it, it afforded me like opportunities that I wouldn't have had before. And just to touch on that a little bit more, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, my career was like, it felt like on a roll. I did the two Fear Street movies in 2019 at the beginning of 2020. I booked a role in the Apple TV show Mosquito Coast, and it was just a small role, but it still felt like things were happening. And I was in Mexico shooting, and then like COVID happened, and the world sort of shut down. I was like, oh, of course, you know, it's just my luck. Like as soon as things start to pan out for me, the world shuts down. But my wife and I were like, okay, let's just put our heads together. Let's write a script just to like fill the free time. And it it sort of started as like a fun thing we're going to do. And the lockdown just kept going forever. And we ended up writing a script that we're like super proud of. And we ended up getting it financed by like two lovely financiers. And I think a big part of them trusting us and trusting me was, you know, Fear Street being under my belt and the fact that, I play a, a pretty good part in this, you know, giant studio trilogy. Yeah. It, it, they were more inclined to trust the project and trust the material. And I don't think that would have happened without Fear Street. No, no, I, I totally agree. Now you have a, an upcoming credit that's in pre-production called uh, Way Down Bundy. Is that uh, sort of a related to the Ted, Ted Bundy theme type movie? What's that about? If you could share. No, that's actually, that's the project I'm talking about that I wrote with my wife. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we're uh, we're actually officially in pre-production on that now, and uh, we got financed at the beginning of the year, and then when, once that happened, we started assembling the team. You know, like all of a sudden we're like making like an actual movie, which I don't think we really anticipated happening. And we hired a couple fantastic producers to help co-produce, and now we have a great director. We have a great DP. Casting director, we're, we're going through casting right now and we're, we're filling out the talent. And uh, I wish I could tell you. No, no, I, don't, I totally get it. We have to wait. I totally get it. But where does writing sit in your heart uh, as compared with acting? Obviously, you're, you're a very talented actor. Where does writing have its place in your heart? It, it's definitely second to acting. Like, I love acting so much. And I, I, sort, of, I sort of check myself on that like once a year because living in LA and I'm sure a lot of like New York people are like this too. So many people move here to pursue acting, but like they don't actually like acting. Like they, 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 they want to be actors, but they don't like acting. If that makes sense. Yeah, you know? I get it. Yeah. I feel like, especially like, you know, bartending for all those years, I was surrounded by so many people that didn't seem like they actually like loved it. So kind of once a year I check myself like, okay, do I actually like acting or do I just want to be an actor? And, you know, every year I, I come up with the same answer. It's like, okay, I actually do love acting, which is why I've been struggling for it for a decade, you know. And writing just kind of was something I, I did to, you know, fill the time. You know, I've written like three feature film scripts just sort of like out of necessity and out of like I come up with an idea and I sit down and start writing. And I really – I love writing and, you know, I, I feel like I'm half decent at it because I put so much practice in at it. But – it's almost like a necessity. It's just something I do to as like another creative outlet. It almost feels more like a hobby where acting is like my 100% you 
you know, all hands on deck day job. Yeah, I totally respect that though, making your own opportunities. Even when COVID was shut down, you did not just sit around on the couch waiting for it to be over. You did something productive and that that total, totally earns my respect. Now, having done horror, do you uh, want to do more horror moving forward, acting wise? Did you find a new appreciation for horror that you would definitely not turn, I mean, most actors wouldn't turn down a paying gig anyway, but do you want to, are you interested in doing more horror work going, you know, forward in your career? I liked acting in the Fear Street movies. It was the first sort of like bout I had with horror films. And when you're making it, it doesn't feel like any different than making like a, a drama, you know, but it's really a high stakes drama. Like every moment is like life or death. And as an actor, it's sort of like, that's like our bread and butter. Like every actor I know, like would love to have like a really fantastic death on camera, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. And like I said, like acting in such high stakes like that every day, it's exhausting. And every day I went home with a gnarly headache, but I, I really enjoyed it. So yeah, I would love to do it again. Would you be interested down the line sometime, maybe writing horror? You think you want to take a stab at that? Sorry for the pun. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, you know, I, I feel like I've brainstormed a few like horror ideas and I feel like everyone I've come up with so far feels like really uh, cheesy or like been done before. But I, I I get the ideas, which makes me think one day like one of them's going to stick and I'm actually going to take a, a stab at it. But I, I would love to I would love to see that. I think you would be really, really good. Now, if you were able to describe your role to Fear Street, um, what was it like? What, how would you describe Peter? To let's say you meet somebody or a friend who hasn't watched Fear Street yet, and you're like, you know, and they tell you, they ask you, well, who do you play? How would you best describe Peter in 1994? Besides being a scumbag or a total bully, uh, we know that bullies are bullies because they have own in, their own insecurities. Did uh, you build any kind of a backstory into Peter as to why he's a bully? Uh, is he insecure? He's dating Sam. What kind of backstory? How would you describe your character? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I've had a lot of practice describing Peter to people because, you know, everyone finds out like, oh, you're in the future movies. Who do you play? Um, and I, I always say like, yeah, you know, I play a character named Peter who is a he's the prototypical high school hotshot. But, uh, you know, he, he is sort of the sort of like, you know, the mirror of what society was at that time. And you know, I, I do like every time I book any sort of like job, the first thing I do, aside from like just memorizing the lines, is I, I journal in character. I buy a separate journal and I label it with the character's name. And it sounds really kind of cheesy and no, maybe no, hippy dippy, no, no. but I always journal from like the character's perspective, from like the character's earliest memory up until like present day, whatever present day is in the script. And uh, it's kind of crazy. It, it feels sort of silly, to, but it's the fastest way to like sort of fabricate memories like sometimes it, you actually feel like you have created like a character with real memories which is, as an actor that's sort of the goal um so for peter it was sort of like you know his family name which is like brody you know and shady side like it the family name means a lot you know like maybe it's like the name of the dad's company and it's like you know oh the brody family maybe yeah, their history goes all the way back to you know 17th century union ohio before it was shady side and it's yeah. like oh there's yeah. a family legacy there and Peter simultaneously like kind of loathes his dad for being so hard on him, but he also like leans into the family name because it like gets him somewhere. You know, he, he's Peter, he's a hot shot, 
So he has this duality of like sort of like hating his family, but like leaning on the name to get him where he wants to be. So I thought that was a, a sort of very helpful yeah. thing to explain here's what he is. We're all, we're almost out of time, but I do want to ask you this last question: playing two different characters in uh, the same trilogy. Did you discover stuff about? Did you did your acting go to a level that you did not know was there before? Having to portray Caleb in 1666, Peter in 1994. Uh, I know you said like a lot of actors. There, you know, we are our own worst critics. You know, when it comes to our work, did you find yourself that you discovered a level of yourself that you did not know was there before? With 1666, there's that big pivotal scene where Caleb gets up on the pulpit in the church and he basically fabricates the story, which, you know, throws Sarah Fear and Hannah Miller under the bus and he basically calls them out to be the witches and why, you know, like the town is cursed. That was a very big moment for me as an actor because, you know, there's all the actors, all the extras, you know, there's, you know, maybe a hundred or so people in the church as well as the 200, you know, crew members milling around and, most of the day was like delivering that monologue because it's such a big moment and weeks leading up to that, I'm like, okay, there's that big moment. And I worked so hard on it, but I knew I would get up there and, and immediately be nervous at the very least. But when I got up there, like I, I found I was actually like way more excited than I was nervous. And like, you know, I did that monologue probably 20 or 30 times that day. And when it was all said and done, it was like a really long day. I remember that day in particular was like, 15 or 16 hours. And when it was all said and done, man, I just wanted to keep going. I wanted to do more. And it was another one of those validating moments where I'm like, okay, good. Like I do like this acting thing. Like I love it. And in fact, like I, I, it's, I want to act until the day I die, dude. Like that's awesome. Vacationing is great. But if I could work, if I could work every day on set, I would. I had one actor tell me, uh, you know, this, I forget who it was, but he has a lifetime. He has nothing left to prove. And I go to him, you know, have you ever thought about, you know, retiring? And he said something with, to me that stuck with me. Retiring from acting would be like asking me to stop breathing. And that, yeah. that stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah, that stuck with me. Now, uh, final question. I know I said that before. But being on such a big budget, like a uh, trilogy, like Fear Street, now the next project that you were on or going to be on are you afraid that man you're going to be a little bit underwhelmed being spoiled with seeing a big production uh like fear street are you afraid of being a little bit underwhelmed for your next project yes and no yes because how could you not be after like such a gigantic beast yeah. you know but no because the next project i'm doing is way down bundy the one i'm producing and wrote and I'm the sole reason it's an underwhelming experience because it's a much smaller film. So I only have myself to blame. All right. Jeremy, it's been absolutely great talking to you. I can't believe this hour just flew by. Uh, you were great in Fear Street. The trilogy is amazing. For anybody, if you have not watched it yet, please go to Netflix. Check out Fear Street 1994, Fear Street 1978, and the finale, Fear Street 1666. I guarantee you, if you start 90, 1994, you're more than likely going to be in front of that TV for the next seven hours, watching all three of them in a row. Thank you so much. Any final thoughts you want to share with your fans or our audience? 
no, I just want to say I really appreciate the outpouring of love that I've been getting on social media considering I play guys that are like not the greatest. People have been really nice on Instagram and I appreciate all the really kind DMs. And to second what you said, if you guys haven't watched Fear Street yet, uh, I promise it's a very good time and it, it, they're very enjoyable movies. And they're important because it's a studio taking a bit, big swing on a queer love story and I think yeah. we need more of those. Yeah. Absolutely. And remember... If you play an antagonist and people start to lash out at you, it means you did a great job at your at your role. Always remember that. I appreciate that. Anyway, thank you to Jeremy. Thank you to all our viewers. I hope you enjoyed this hour as much as we did. Until next time, guys, on behalf of Jeremy and myself, stay safe, stay walking. Good night.